Yeah. First of all, it's a tremendous pleasure to be here. I heard so much about Morty Stiebel for, uh, I guess, since you guys opened, really. And uh, I go back a little bit with the Rav. Uh, I don't know how many years. I guess that's your bris. And uh, it's a, there's a very warm Yadidus between our families for, for many, many years. And whenever you can get together and they're looking to elevate the Ruchnias, it's a Makam Kadesh Ad Ma'id. We have a Parsha this week that talks about the top way for a person to be able to relate to Kadesh Baruch Hu, to get to the Shachanti B'Seicham, that a Kadesh Baruch Hu dwells in each and every one of us, is to make a Migdash for Kadesh Baruch Hu. And what's a Migdash for Kadesh Baruch Hu? A place where you set aside for Avodah Hashem, whatever it is, whatever it is. So you didn't get together and you think that this is a nice place to hang out. You think this is a nice place to get together. You like the camaraderie and you like the food and you like the, the company and the music and it's great and the rub. It's, it's really terrific. But what we sometimes miss is you're building a base on Migdash here. This is a, this, this is a base on Migdash. A base of is a place where you get close to Kaddish Baruch It's So this is a real treat, a thrill for me to be here as Chus, and I thank you for asking me to come. One of the most difficult mitzvahs to be Mekayim is the mitzvah of being Besimcha. Mishanichnas Ador Marbin Besimcha. When Ador comes around, we have to increase our Simcha. We know that we say every morning, Besimcha. I don't think there's anybody on the planet who's Yiddish, who's from, who doesn't realize that Simcha is something that the Torah seems to require. In the very worst part of the Torah and Parshat Kisavai, when the Torah is speaking about the worst horrific curses that ever come to visit Klai Yisrael, the worst thing, the Torah tells you, you know why? You didn't serve a Kodesh Baruch You didn't serve a It's the biggest taina that the Torah has on us. The biggest taina. So how do you command someone to do simcha? It's an emotion. It's like your parents, you know, you come to your parents and say, I hate my sister. You ever have that happen to you? So parents say, no, you have to love your sister. As soon as they say that, now you start loving her, right? Emotions are very difficult. <laughs> it's not an easy thing. So what's the You turn on the switch, ah, become a simcha. So we have to understand and recognize that simcha is something that if the Torah is requiring it of us, it's something that is in our control. It's something we could do something about. It is silly for the Torah to mandate simcha when you can't do anything about it. There are a lot of people walk around with the misconception that happiness that we have is a happening, meaning if life happens to you good, then you're happy. But if life does not happen to you good, you can't be happy. That's what people think. Good things have to happen to you before you can be happy. You can't be happy otherwise. And we all know that that's, of course, if you think about it just a little bit, of course it's not true. There are people out there in the world who are multi-billionaires, who have attained every single desire and every single ambition they ever had, <laughs> who are planning to kill themselves. <laughs> and there are people out there who have minutes left to live, who are walking around and are happy. There are people who are impoverished, who are walking around delighted to be alive. There are people who are wealthy, who can't stand another minute of, of, of life. It's terrible for them, right? We know that that's true. So happiness is not a happening. In fact, happiness is not, does not come from anything external. Some of you might remember the first time that you got a car, your first ever car. Were you happy when you first got the car? Yeah, but for how long? A day, a two, a three, a week? Okay, really nice car, a month. <laughs> Eventually get used to it, right? Eventually get used to the car. Because that's not happy. That's called excited. That's not what happiness is. 
Material possessions will never make you happy. They can get you excited for a while, give you a buzz for a while. People who win the lottery, boy, they're buzzed. They can be buzzed for a few, a few months, but eventually it goes away. But sustained happiness, happiness that we're talking about the Torah, that requires a tremendous amount of effort. And one of the things as human beings we don't like doing is, is extending and expending any kind of effort. We're not into the effort. <laughs> we're into the roll-up, the, uh, the push-button windows. We're into the automatic this and the automatic that and the, and the instant gratification. There's a piece of music that you like, you download it on the, set, but on the spot, right? Something you want to watch, Khalila, Netflix, right on the spot, you know, everything on the spot. And putting effort into things, not something we do. And I'm telling you right now that I can share with you the secret of happiness. And I can show you that it's true. I can show you that you could control your happiness. And it's very likely that you're going to hear it. You're going to agree with it. You're going to say it's 100% true. And you're not going to do anything about it. Nothing. Why? Because we're lazy. And we're going to see that it requires a lot of effort. I'm going to share, as Rabbi Noach Weinberg, Zechariah used to say, the secret of happiness with you in the following story. <clears throat> Rabbi Noach Weinberg noticed many years ago, one of his predecessors, he was before Esha Torah, that there was a young man walking around who had the happiest disposition he had ever seen. We all know that we learn, I learn from my students more than anybody. So Rabbi said, he's talking my student, but he's got something that I don't got. I got to learn from him. So he sat him down and he debriefed him. He said, I, 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 I've been watching you and you walk around, you're such a happy person. Where did you acquire, how do you, how do you do this? He says, me? I got the gift of happiness when I was 11 years old. Now Rabbi Noach thought he was a little, you know, funny. Like, who gets the gift of happiness? He says, okay, tell me about your gift of happiness. He said, when he was 11 years old, he grew up in Amsterdam, in Holland. Amsterdam is a very windy city, a lot of canals, I don't know if you know. Primary mode of transportation in Amsterdam, Bicycle. I was there two years ago. Still is. Right? You said, the big highways. You have thousands of bikes going to work every morning in rush hours. So he says he's minding his own business as an 11-year-old riding a bike when a gust of wind comes, blows him onto the roadway in the path of an oncoming dump truck filled with sand. And he could not get out of the way in time. And the truck ran over his leg and severed his leg. And he's laying on the ground and a group of onlookers that transfixed by the scene of this horror that just happened, and they're standing there. He tells Reb I looked up at those people, I said, this'll do me no good for those people to stand there, because I'm bleeding to death. So I yelled at them and I said, get me to a hospital, get out of the way, I'll manage to find a way myself. I woke some people up, they stopped a taxi. They put Nebuchadnezzar and his leg into a taxi, and somebody, a stranger came along with him, they took him to the hospital where they tried, tried valiantly overnight to save his leg, but they couldn't. And he, he said, he wakes up in the morning, his whole family is assembled at the foot of his bed, and they're all crying. He said to Rabbi Weinberg, I opened up my eyes, I looked at that, I said, this is depressing, I said. I said, this is very depressing. And I said to them, you guys better get used to this. They looked at me like I was crazy. Weep, you're the one who lost the leg. What do you mean we better get used to it? They don't understand. I've already gotten used to the fact that I don't have a leg. And I'm thinking about what life might hold for me that's more positive. <laughs> but you guys obviously can't get over it. He said, Rabbi, from that day on, all the th things that bother my friends wash, wash off my back like so much water. So Noach Weinberg said, if you analyze the story carefully, you'll see the gift of happiness is in that story. The secret of happiness is in that story. What's the secret of happiness? No life is perfect. 
There are ups and downs in life. And the proverbial half cup of water is exactly on the mark. We get a half cup. And if you focus on what you're missing in the cup and you see the half empty, you will be miserable. But when you focus upon what you got, if you focus upon the blessings, if you focus upon a Kaddish Baruch who gives you on a regular basis, you will be happy. And the human mind is fickle and it can't really process both at the same time. So the moment that you're focused laser-like on what you have, you're going to be besimcha. When you're focused laser-like upon what you don't have, you're not going to be besimcha. And in our generation, we have more than any generation that has ever lived on the planet. Yes, we have problems. We certainly have problems. But you cannot deny that we're living in the lap of luxury compared to kings just 100 years ago. My brother, Reb Shmuel, everybody went to Tarot Mima. Everybody went to Tarot Mima. He's one of the Rebbeim there for many. He's just retired like two years ago. My brother, Reb Shmuel, told me the following marshal. He said, there was once a king. There was once a king who was a very benign, very generous king. He ran a country which he shared all his wealth with his subjects. The, ki- the country looked like Disneyland. It was like gorgeous. The streets were clean. I don't know, maybe music being piped in between the bushes. I don't know if that was so much. But it was beautiful, beautiful country. And once a year, he'd hitch up the royal steed to the royal chariot, and he'd take a tour of the countryside to Shep Daches for how well his people were doing. And every year he'd go out and see how beautifully his citizens lived and he it gave him such nachas, he was overflowing with pride. One year, he goes out on the royal tour and he sees a homeless man laying on the street, ripped clothing, diseased, no teeth in his mouth, smelled really bad, and dressed in rags. He says, in my country, this should be someone like this, this cannot be. He takes the man, brings him onto the chariot, and he has him driven to the royal palace. We commands the royal physicians to heal him, the royal dentists to make him set of the finest teeth, the royal educators to teach him how to be a mensch, the royal hygienists to teach him how to be clean, the royal tailors to cut him a set of the finest royal robes, and the royal chefs to cook him three wonderful meals every single day. And after six months of this treatment, he asks that the man be brought before him. And what was once a sorry excuse for a human being now looks like a prince himself. And the king has such nachas, he's overflowing. He says to him, no, no, how are you doing? And the man says, how am I doing? Mm, okay. The king says, just okay? <laughs> he says, yeah. He says, well, you know, you've been very nice to me. You know, no one ever cooked meals for me in my life. And, and I get three meals a day. But just the other day for breakfast, I ordered my hot cereal, my breakfast porridge. I like it at 183 degrees. Would you believe it? 210. The day before that, 150. What's wrong with these people? Ha, says the king. And what else seems to be the problem? He says, well, you see this royal robe that I have? He says, yeah. I Taka never had royal robes like this before. See the button? I didn't want it here. I wanted it here. If I sent it back, what? Well, I sent it back 10 times to the tailors. They can't seem to get it right. Hey, 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 hey. Can't get it right. Ha, says the king. What does the king do to this man? He throws him out of the palace. <laughs> Ingrate. What are your complaints? What are our complaints? What are complaints? What, what gets you going in the middle of a fine, otherwise fine day? <laughs> your car doesn't start. <laughs> right. You have indoor plumbing. Hello. <laughs> Diseases that would wipe out cities today. It's called the flu. 
A cold. Do you know what it meant to have fruit out of season? A hundred years ago, if you were a king, you could not have fruit out of season. It meant you only had what grew locally and that's all you had. If you had a ship in somewhere, went rotten, it was gone. How many different fruits do you have in Tubashvat? <laughs> in the middle of the winter, mind you. <laughs> it's crazy what we got. Whether you're talking about healthcare, talking about hygiene, talking about education, whatever you want to talk about on every single level. We're living in the lap of luxury. And yet, I hate to say it this way, but seem to raise the generation of ingrates. <laughs> Whiners! I'll tell you stories that I saw among my own, my, my own family, right? Kids come to the house, they open the pantry, there's 86 bo boxes of cereal, and there's 24 bags of potato chips, and there's who knows how many drinks, and, and the kids say, there's nothing to eat! <laughs> how many of us open our wardrobe closets, and you have suits, there's nothing to wear? My father is a Khan Levracha when he was in Siberia during the war years. So I asked him once, what did you wear over there? For five years, four years, he's in the frozen Russian tundra, right? I said, I said, what'd you do? He said, well, whatever slacks you were wearing or jacket that you had, you had to make it last. You put patch on patch on patch. He said, but your shirt <laughs> would just fall apart after a few months. It would just fall apart on you. So I said, so what did you do? So he says, you were the most fortunate person in the world if you found a discarded potato sack and you'd rip it open here and knot it there and somehow make it function as a shirt. It was like you won the lottery you found something like that. And you know what food was over there? If there was a potato peel inside. You were lucky to have a potato peel. And we live in the United States of America. <laughs> this cult of it's flowing with milk and honey, Ki'ilu. Eretz Yisrael is really with the place flowing with milk and honey. But it's incredible what we have. And we walk around with less happiness than before? What's the pshat? And the answer is because we take it for granted. This young man in the story took for granted the fact that he lost a leg. But he looked forward with excitement to the rest of the things in his life. The cup half empty and half full is a very, very apt mush. We heard it since we're little kids, but it's 1,000% true. If a person walks around cataloging and thinking about what has Hashem done for me lately? What are three things today that I noticed in my life that I never noticed before that are absolute blessings from Kaddish Baruch Hu? They're there. But we don't even have the focus. We've become so materialistic that if we don't have the latest thing, we feel like we are denied. We feel like impoverished. And even some people who are good about counting their blessings, when there's a presidential election every four years, they tell you, are you better off than you were four years ago? <laughs> who says you have to be better off? What if my life was perfect four years ago? They teach us that we are denied. They teach us what we don't have. It's, it's, it's a national disease that exists in this country. I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I that, and we want all these things for free. <coughs> We are in the throes of a very, very bad habit. How do you wake yourself from this bad habit? I think everybody sitting in this room recognizes that if you could focus laser-like upon the blessings that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you, you will walk around happy. So what do we do to break the habit? So I'll give you a marshal. There's a young lady and she has an aunt and her aunt's name is Matilda. Matilda's a very depressed, 
very upset mm-hmm. person. And her own children don't really communicate with her anymore because she's just so depressing. Terrible story, but we know people like this. So this young lady, her mother, who's Matilda's sister, guilts her into calling her every Mother's Day because no one else will. Every Mother's Day she calls her up and it's terrible when she calls her up. She's, she's complaining on the phone. And One year she says, you know what? I call her up anyway every Mother's Day. This year I'm going to make a difference in her life. And she does the following. On Mother's Day she picks up the phone. Hello, Aunt Matilda. How are you? Bad question to ask someone who's depressed. <laughs> She says, how could I be? Ever since your uncle passed away, nobody even talks to me. You say, no, no, time out, time out. She says, time out, time out, time out. Aunt Matilda, today's your lucky day. She says, what's so lucky about it? Because today I'm coming over to the apartment. I'm going to sit and suffer with you. That cheers her up a little bit right away. Right? <laughs> she says, when are you coming? I said, hop a bus. I'll be right there. Fine. Come to the apartment. She comes to the apartment, knocks on the door, opens up. Aunt Matilda's wearing the same house coat she's worn for the last 20 years. She has her hair perpetually in rollers, but she's never been outside. And she says to her, Aunt Matilda, it's true, I came to sit and suffer with you, but on one condition. She said, I knew it was too good to be true. What's the condition? You have to first relive with me five pleasures you had today. What does she say? But I didn't have any pleasures. So Aunt Matilda, did you take a shower this morning? She says, of course, I'm a very clean person. Of course I took a shower. She says, what did you do when you got into the shower? and you turn on the water, and it bounces off, cascades off your face. How do you feel at that point? She says, nice. What's where the water gets really steamy hot? How does it feel? It's nice. What kind of soap do you use? Oh, I will use Irish Spring. I like the aroma. So you got the steam of the shower and the steam of the soap, and the aroma's coming in. How does it feel? Now you tell yourself, how do you feel? She says, nice. You wouldn't believe how many of you are smiling. (laughs) Because when you focus on to relieve a pleasure, you can't help it, but it puts a little smile on your face. He says, that's one. Now four more. She says, four more. <laughs> She's panicking, right? Did you have a cup of coffee this morning? She said, of course I had a cup of coffee. You make a good cup of coffee? I make a wonderful cup of coffee. Tell me about your cup of coffee. Relive the details with me. She said, well, I use uh, Folgers Mountain Grown, the freeze-dried. I don't like the other instant stuff. Good, good. How much you use? I put in a teaspoon. How hot is the water? I'm piping hot. I put in the water. You put in the water. What do you sweeten it with? I put a little bit of sweet and low. What about a cream milk? Yeah, I use pure cream. The one luxury in my life, I use real cream. Okay, you put it all together, you stir it up. And before you drink it, what do you do? She says, usually I, I take a little whiff of it. And how does that feel? She says, she says, good. Now you take your first sip. And how does that feel? That's two. You're smiling for the cup of coffee too. <laughs> simple pleasures, aren't they? They're so simple. Because if you focus upon what you got in life, if you focus upon the pleasures, the blessings, if you focus upon it, it will make you happy. The problem is that we are so ungrateful, Khalila. This problem is we go around life, we take for granted all the good stuff, and we expect the good stuff. We have very high expectations. And when something doesn't go our way, we, you should know if you do that, you will v- be very successfully depressed. <laughs> You'll become an expert at being miserable. <laughs> misery, misery is very easily generated, and we're very good at it in the United States of America. All you need to do is focus on the negative. So how do you break yourself out of the habit? Another marshal. You're sitting in the Empire State Building. You have a corner office on the 82nd floor of the Empire State Building. And you're minding your own business when suddenly one day, a big guy, I mean a big guy, 
I don't know, fullback type guy, you know, 275 pounds, every inch of muscle, standing in the doorway of your office, and there's a window in your office. And he comes and he says and he, to everybody, nobody at the same time, he says, everybody out of my way, I'm going to jump for that window. And he starts taking a running leap to jump for the, jump for the window. And you say to yourself, I can't let a man just kill himself just like that. So as he passes your desk, you manage to jump out of your seat, and as high as you can reach, you only manage to get him around the ankles, that's how big this guy is. And he comes down the floor with a thud, and you fall down right next to him. And his face is right in your face. And he says, mister, I'm gonna try this again. And this time, if you try to stop me, I'm taking you along. And he looks like he can. Say, I have no wish to die, sir. You know, go right ahead. He says, however, because you seem to care for me, a perfect stranger, I'm going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. You get 15 minutes to try to talk me out of it. Man's life is in your hands. What do you say? What do you say? See, the first thing you say, let him talk a little. It'll be cathartic for him. He'll get it out. Maybe he'll get some of the pain out. So tell me about your life. And the guy unloads a tale of woe that you like. <laughs> it's so depressing. It's so depressing. You're ready to tell him to jump. <laughs> His wife left him. The kids don't talk to him. He's bankrupt 65 times. The government is after him. He's got nothing. He's got nothing to go on. Five minutes is up. There's another 10 minutes to go. His life is in your hands. What do you do? And you have a little silent prayer to Kaddish Baruch Hu, And suddenly Kaddish Baruch Hu sends a brilliant thought into your mind. And you say, mister, I want to ask you a question. If you had the same horrible, rotten, miserable life that you've been leading until now, that's really what you had. But you had one more problem. You were also blind. And you came in here today determined to end your life by jumping out the window. What if on the way to jumping out the window, God gave you sight? Would you still jump? The guy says, probably, but not right away. Or take a few days, look around, see what I've been missing. So what's your problem, mister, that you're not blind? <laughs> Do you remember people, they get a terrible diagnosis from a doctor? And suddenly they take the time to watch sunrises and sunsets and sit by the beach and, and spend the time with their loved ones and nice to them and sweet to them. Like, what's our problem? We're too healthy? Because we take it for granted. You got it? Every morning you say, Baruch Hashem Why don't you make the bracha Hanoisen Lanu Einayim. Why Pekeh who opens the eyes of the blind? And the answer is, the Gemara tells us, The most powerful way to get a concept is by imagining the negative. We have to actually think about, it. what if I was Khalila blind? About seven years ago, I was putting the finishing, eight years ago, putting the finishing touches on my shul. We just opened the shul here in Lakewood. And I remember reaching for a bulb and suddenly I had this giant flash in my eye giant flash in my eye. And I didn't think much of it. Yeah, I put in the bulb and put away the ladder. And over Shabbos, I felt like, ah, this, there's always like something in my eye rubbing at the whole Shabbos. It's only months of Shabbos that I realized that I had lost 25% of my sight. That from the equator down in my eye, I couldn't see. It was just, they call it the black curtain. It was a detached retina. Partially attached retina. And to make a long story short, you have about 24 hours to repair it. It was already more than 24 hours and I called uh, everybody I knew in Lakewood. I was pretty new to Lakewood at the time. And people said, there's a Dr. Roth. Some of you probably know him, Daniel Roth. 
And uh, I called other doctors too, and he was the only one who called me back Motzei Shabbos at about, uh, I don't know, 3 a.m. And he said, you are an emergency, you come into my office tomorrow, I'll do the surgery myself on you. And it was himself, there was no one else assisting. And it's just me and him in the office, and I'm laying there, and he is operating on my eye while I'm fully awake, by the way, which is an experience. And as he's doing the surgery, I'm, I'm talking to him, which is incredible. It's a nisei nisim, that people can literally be poking very sharp needles in your eye, and you don't feel it, and, and doing surgery in your eye, it's, it's mamash alfa what a great blessing, right? And I asked him, I said, Dr. Roth, Dr. Roth, why did this happen to me? He says, what do you mean? I said, do I have any uh, red flags for this? I, do I have a predisposition to attach retina? He says, are you very nearsighted? I said, no. You ever had surgery on your eyes? I said, no. He says, no, you're not predisposed at all to this. I said, so why do I have it? He says, because Rabbi Milstein, you will never take your sight again for granted. And boy, was he right. Paikeach Ivrim, Baruch Shemai, restored my sight fully. Paikeach Ivrim, haflo vafela, haflo vafela. Do we really have to chalila go through being Iver before we appreciate it? We all have a tremendous capacity. We have a tremendous capacity for being able to focus upon the positive. But it requires effort. And effort is not such a pleasant thing in the United States of America. It's not something we like to do. So if you really, really want to live a happier life, I'm going to give you a little homework. Remember, Chazal obligate us to being happy. It's an obligation. It's not just a nice thing to do. It's an obligation. Right? So I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. If you really want to be happy. Now, I just want to put it in perspective what that means. If they were mutually exclusive, if you could be rich and miserable and poor and happy, what would you choose? I've yet to meet a person in the world who says I'd rather be rich and miserable. Poor and happy, everybody says that. So how much effort are we ready to expend to make a living? If I go around the table here and I ask you how many hours you're working each and every week, I'm sure I get a pretty fair representation of what the workforce does in the United States of America just to make a living. What I'm going to ask you to do is not going to be 40 hours a week or 30 hours or 20 hours a week. I'm going to ask you to give me 15 minutes tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, I'd like you to take 15 minutes. And I'd like you to take a piece of paper and write down on it 15 minutes worth of consciousness, of awareness, of blessings that you have. Think about all the blessings that you have and take 15 minutes to write them down. First five minutes will be easy. Second five minutes will be not so easy. The third five minutes will be murder. After 10 minutes, most people are exhausted. They can't think of anything anymore. Regardless of how much or how little you record on the paper, fold it up, put it away. That's Wednesday night. On Thursday night, I'd like you to take the paper out and add to it for five minutes. Knowing full well how difficult the last five minutes were, you're going to have the greatest... Thursday of your life. Why? Because the whole day you're going to say, I got to put down more on the paper. You can start looking around. You'll start noticing things you never noticed before that are true blessings in your life. You continue it for another five minutes, Matzah Shabbos, and have an amazing Shabbos. Continue it another five minutes on Sunday, and that's it. You will now have a half hour's worth of effort, just a half hour's worth of effort of collecting your blessings on a piece of paper. And the next time something goes wrong in your life, that aggravates you, that frustrates you, I would like you to take out that piece of paper and figure out which one of these blessings would I be ready to return to my maker so that my problem will go away. 
98% of the time, you're going to say, I can live with the problem. I like my blessings. Live like that for a month. You have a frustration during the day. Pick out, take out a piece of paper. Say, okay, which one am I ready to give back? After doing that for one month, part two of the homework is, after one month, take out another sheet of paper. This one, this time, make sure it has lines on it. And what you're going to do is you're going to take the original sheet of your half hour's worth of blessings and you're going to try to identify the smallest blessing. Meaning, if I had to return one of these blessings, which one would I do? It's not so easy. Hands versus legs. Eyes versus ears. Not so easy. Which one is better? What will you accomplish by doing that? You will remove, you'll identify the smallest blessing, cross it off list, list number one, put it in position number one on list number two. Continue to do this 15 minutes a night. It'll probably take you about two or three hours if you're really, really an intellectual, if you're really someone who's a chacham, take you about two hours and you will have crossed off then the next smallest blessing and the next smallest blessing and the next smallest blessing and the smallest one is number one, next smallest blessing, number two, number three, so on and so forth until you crossed off all the blessings in your first list and now you have a list of all your blessings in their correct, correct order of priority. You have become a lamdin in blessings. Become a lamdin in your brachas in life. You'll be able to compare the nuances of one against the other. It's a whole different way of living your life. And now if something's going wrong, you know which one you're ready to get back. That's level two of happiness. Level three of happiness. If you're married, you make up with your wife that whoever comes home from the outside before doing anything else, just after saying, hello, how are you? Announces two new blessings they discovered that day. For those people who are not fortunate enough to have a family, but they have business meetings, I urge people in the corporate environment, if they would like to increase attendance at meetings, at business meetings, <laughs> you start every meeting with everybody going around the table, two new blessings, two new blessings. The results of this thing is off the charts. It's off the charts. Two new things. You sit down with someone to break bread. You meet a friend you haven't seen. Two new things. If we do that, if we do that, we will be living life on a whole different level and the environment in which we live will be a beautiful environment. Everybody sitting here knows that this can work. I haven't said anything controversial, haven't said anything off the charts. Everything that we're talking about, we know that it could work. So why don't we do it? Because we're lazy. And as the Balai Musa tell us, lazy is crazy. It's part of the human condition. It's part of the insanity condition that we know there are things that we should do. We know that we're going to profit from them. We know they're going to benefit from them. And we don't do it anyway. Why? Because we're lazy. I really, really hope that if anybody puts the effort into this, that they'll be rewarded with a tremendous, tremendous elevation in the Ruchnius, with a tremendous elevation in the Ruchnius of the people around them, noticing their newfound happiness. And Be'ezer Hashem with this, just like Khalil, the worst Khalil has come with a lack of Simcha, the greatest brachas should come with this Simcha. And Be'ezer Hashem and Baruch should help us in Be'ez Gelat who we will be Makabah B'Simcha B'Meri Amen. Amen. Because it's very simple.